Amen. Thank you. That was very good and very true. Amen. Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, we started there in verse 1, going down through verse number 18. So as you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and start reading it now, since it is a, a pretty good group of verses right there. But Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass, in the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi. The name of his two sons, Mahalon and Chilion, Eprahites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They dwelled there about ten years. And Malone and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, and that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. And the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. That, uh, then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, both of them, Surely we will return with thee and unto thy people. Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that, you may, that may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should say I have a husband also um, tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry with them till they were grown? Would you stay for them uh, from, having, uh, from having husbands? Nay, my daughters. For agree with me much for your sakes. Now get this, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, the key verse of the entire book, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, more also, if aught but death part thee and me. She makes an oath out of it. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking under her. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word. 
We thank You for Your goodness to us. Lord, I thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Lord, I pray and ask that You would bless in the message this morning. I pray that Your Word would help us and draw us closer to You. Lord, use this to strengthen us in our walk with You. May we leave here different than when we came in. Lord, You know all the needs that are here. Lord, I pray that You would meet them, that Your Word would would be that meat unto our life. Lord, if there's anyone here who does not truly know Christ as Savior, that they have never genuinely been converted, Lord, I pray that conviction and that drawing on their heart, even this morning, that they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Please, Lord, please, Lord I ask you to work. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. There are times in life when things do not go as planned. Times when circumstances arise that you never planned for, really maybe could never even have possibly have planned for. Perhaps it's a way, wayward child. I had a, a dad call me up this week, and uh, not, not a member of our church, and who has a wayward child as the children are grown. And as a child that's wayward and listening to his broken heart over it, and just asking the questions you get so often, he said, I don't understand. They all grew up in the same house. What happened? And we talked. Usually you have a way where child. There's times you remember when they were younger, when they were toddlers, how sweet and all the fun times. What it was like as they were growing up, the high hopes you had for their future. Being parents, we always picture the best for our kids. We can see them as they grow up, getting married, faithfully serving God. But then, many times, things don't go as planned. Maybe something comes in and steals their heart. Boy, in the world we live in today, there's so much that can come in. Maybe it was alcohol. Maybe it was meth. Maybe it was a bad relationship. But something else got their heart, and all of a sudden, life goes a very different direction. We have many here where life did not go as planned. For some, similar to our account here, has been the loss of a child. We have parents here who know that grief. The grief of losing a child. The times when life does not go as planned. We have some here who have lost a spouse. Again, those times when life does not go as planned. I can think of situation after situation. Maybe it's a, it's a call from a doctor. Maybe it's the loss of a job. You've worked hard into this career and all of a sudden, with the change in the economy, you've been laid off. Life not going as planned. It is so important how we handle those times. When, something, when a circumstances arises in life or God puts something or allows something to come into our life, and it's not, how, it's not how we had it planned out. It can be a dangerous time for us. In our text, Naomi has her life go a direction she never saw coming. Naomi really is a life that so many of us can relate to. You can think of the, of the, of the joyous day when she married her husband, Elimelech. 
No doubt they had such big dreams, high hopes of being together, living just six miles from Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Just a beautiful little town. But shortly after they're married, famine strikes. They're not sure what to do. The place that's referred to as the house of bread now has very little food. Life just got much harder. It's going a direction they didn't plan on. Her husband then makes the decision without any, without any indication in the Word of God of him going to God in prayer of leaving and going to Moab. Naomi finds herself living in a strange land far away from home. A place she doesn't know. A place where many who live there really will not like her at all or her family simply because they're from Israel. That nation of Israel still has that problem today. Her extended family, her parents, her siblings, her cousins, her aunts, her uncles, none of them are there. All of us know how important family is. When she married him, she never saw herself living in a foreign land due to a famine. A land filled with paganism. This would be tough. She can't contact home to see how her family's doing to get encouraged. There's no FaceTime. There's no phones. There's no three-day mail service. This is not how she saw her life going. But at least she has her husband and her boys. But then something else happens she didn't see coming. Life takes another direction. Her husband dies. You can imagine the grief that's setting in, already living in a foreign place. And it's clear he dies pretty early on once they arrive in Moab. The fact is, being early on, she really has no one to console her. She's having to be the encourager for her two, for her two sons. What a difficult time of grief. Life has went such a very different direction than that joyous day they were married and how they saw their life progressing. But, she still has her sons. Her sons marry there in Moab, most likely with mixed feelings, but expected since they were living in Moab. Ten years passes. It's also interesting because it's the same amount of time frame when, when that Abraham gave, that Sarah uh, did not have a child before she uh, gave uh, Hagar, her handmaiden, to Abraham. Ten years passes and there's still no children. That's not as planned either. That's not what they planned. She saw grandchildren and things like that. Somebody to carry on the family name. Ten years passes. The boys are married, but no children. And then grief upon grief, tragedy upon tragedy. Both of her sons die. She's now in a foreign land. She has lost her husband. She has lost her two sons. There's no one left to even carry on her, her husband's name. 
the grief would be overwhelming. And again, she's thinking, this is not what I had planned for my life. By this point, she is believing that God is against her. All these circumstances arising, just just tragedy upon tragedy, she now concludes, God is against me. She is wrong. Soon, God will turn that bitterness into beauty in her life and in the life of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. We're going to look at these verses this morning. And we're going to learn how to deal with, from this narrative, how to handle life when it doesn't go as planned. There are three things we learn from our text about our relationship to God when things don't go as planned. Three things to cling to. Three things the devil will work very, very hard to get you to forget when life doesn't go as planned. Here's what we need to remember and cling to. You need to remember God's power. Don't forget it. Don't forget God. We're going to see that in the text. Don't forget God's power. Number two, don't forget God's goodness. Don't forget His goodness. Be careful of a wrong view of God setting in. Number three, God's sovereignty. You need to remember, God is working even when you can't see it. Even when you can't see it, God is working. We need to cling to the fact, number one, like I said, of God's power. Don't forget God's power. Don't forget God. Number two, God's goodness. Be careful of that wrong view of God. Number three, God's sovereignty. Remember, God is working when you can't see it. So let's go over these. Number one, God's power. Let's look at the first two verses. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Mahalan and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Here we're introduced to Elimelech and Naomi. Ironically, his name means God is king. Naomi means pleasant or beautiful or lovely. The time in the world in which they lived, and in, in particular the nation of Israel, was a difficult time. As it tells us in verse 1, they lived during the time of the judges. I mentioned this briefly last week. The judges were basically military powers or leaders that came to be that God would raise up to deliver from an oppressor. Now, the reason why they were under oppression, because that was a form of chastisement and judgment from God, because they kept turning from God. The book of Judges is this endless cycle 
of them turning from God, getting mixed up in paganism and just caught up in the ways of the world, and God sends judgment to get them to remember God, then they repent, God raises up a deliverer, they're serving God for a time, and then as time goes on again, once again they forget God, they get back into the sin, God sends another oppressor, he raises up another leader upon their repentance. And so they're living during this time frame. So that tells us there's a lack of spiritual leadership in the nation. There's a lack of truth. It was a horrible cycle. It was a time when the book of Judges tells us in the, begin, in the first and last chapter, when every man did that which is right in his own eyes. They're living in a time just like our day. When it says that this is identical to what we see taking place in Europe and America and other parts of the world. A time when each culture wants to determine morality. Every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. We don't determine morality. God does. So this is the spiritual condition of the nation when Elimelech and Naomi get married and have a family. Because there's such a, a, a weak spiritual foundation, when crisis arises, many times it does not go well. That's true in our story. Shortly after they marry, a famine hits. Again, the likely time is actually around the time probably of Gideon when the Midianites were oppressing the nation because they destroyed the food. So this famine hits. This is the very first circumstance we know of that they faced as a couple that they did not plan on. And make no mistake, this would be scary. I mean, think, there's no food. Your crops are decimated. You're not sure where to get your next meal from. <clears throat> But what our text doesn't tell us is we don't see Elimelech going to God. What he, what he needed to remember is, even though they're facing this dire situation that, that, that by human means just looks hopeless, God has power. He's forgetting about God's power. God could feed them in so many numerous ways. He's forgetting that. He doesn't go to God. His name means God is king. But he's forgetting that God is king. So often we have Bible knowledge is just into our head. We know the truths and the principles that the Bible teaches. But boy, when we're faced with a tough circumstance, it's like we just throw them right out the window. The famine hits and he forgets God's power. He forgets the Creator Himself who has the ability to sustain him and his family. You see, we have a danger of forgetting God and His power when things don't go as planned. What, we, what so often happens when we're faced with a very difficult circumstance is if there's a weak spiritual foundation, you will try and take things into your own hands. You look for the solution on your own because the spiritual foundation is weakened. You're going to solve it. Fear can take over. Uncertainty can creep in. Understand, it's during these times when our faith is measured. 
what he needed to remember, even though this wasn't according to his plan, it's still in God's plan. So often, when life doesn't go as planned, it's as if we forget about God's power. Oh, God can't handle this. I've got to take care of this. And we take things into our own hands and know where we end up? A Moab or an Egypt, spiritually speaking. I want you to think about this. Let's say he did go to God and God even gave the direction to go to Moab. Do you know how much more that would have helped? Do you know how much more it would have helped that they went to God and God said, Listen, I want you to, I want you to take Naomi and I want you to head to Moab. Even if, even if everything's doing it the same way, his wife would not have the spiritual battles that she's facing by the conclusion of chapter 1. Just like when, when, I, when I surrendered to go to P&G, remember, I, I, I wasn't all like, you know, some of you have heard the story, and those who know me best know it. I, I never saw myself as a foreign missionary. It's not what I planned. I wasn't all excited and jumping up and down. The Lord had to put me in a place where I knew I'd be disobedient if I wasn't going. And when I was, when I was begging God every single day, when, when I, I was coming to the conclusion that that was His direction and His leading, I would tell Him every single day, just with this, I can't go. I need you to do something more. The reason why I prayed that every day is because I knew when we got there, I'd already been there. I knew we're going to face a lot of hard times. And I didn't want the mind game going on. Did I make the wrong decision? I wanted the peace of knowing when things went wrong that I'm right where God wants me to be. When things hit that you don't expect, we are to run to God, not turn from Him or forget about Him. When things don't go as planned, it's not God up in heaven saying, you know what, I wish I had power to help you, but I just don't. I wish I had the strength to give, the grace to give, but, you know, I didn't see this coming. Do you know there's nothing going to happen in your life that God already doesn't know? Nothing. Number two. Number two. don't forget God's goodness. Or in other words, be careful of a wrong view of God when things don't go as planned. Let's look at verse 3. The famine hits, they head to Moab. Verse 3, And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. They took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Mahalon and Chilion died also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. And then as we know, as we read earlier, they travel. Verse 8, Naomi turns back. So they've all left together, all three of them. 
But at some point, Naomi stops on the journey and pleads with her daughter-in-law, starting in verse 8, to go back. And she even prays for a blessing on him. Go back, get married. I'm praying that God will bless you and and working it for the kindness you have shown me. Lord, grant you that you may find rest in verse 9. And they all weep. It's been a difficult life and they know it. They know how difficult life has been, not only on their life, but much more so for their mother-in-law. And both of them plead, we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi once again presents an argument, no. Naomi still thinks that she's still, what she expects now to happen, and just doesn't know when, just more grief and more tragedy. More grief and more tragedy. It's what her life has been, has known, that's it. And she said, listen, there's there's no reason for you to go. We're we're, we're in Israel. You're not going to be able to marry. It's going to be against the law for you to marry. I would have to have a husband, get married, have kids. They'd have to grow up. Are you going to wait that long? And she says, no, you, you need to stay. And she makes this statement that I want to point out now. Look at verse 13. Would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters. For it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. You have to be careful of a wrong view of God when life heads another direction. You cannot forget God's goodness. We have had tragedy upon tragedy happen to this family. Her husband has died once they go to Moab, and then, and then her two sons, they get married, but there's no children. Ten years, there's no children, and then both of them die. The Bible doesn't even tell us how. For any of them. Brief statements. They died. There's no kids. No one to carry on the family name. The grief would be enormous. It's not how she thought life would go. And Naomi makes the decision when she heard that back in Israel there is food. That I'm going home. Keep in mind, by the time of her age, what she knows this. The younger widows, it was, of course, normal for you to go right back into your, your, your parents' house in Israel. But more than likely, based on this time frame, her parents are probably already dead. They've probably already died. She doesn't know what exactly it's going to look like, but she makes a good decision and said, listen, I need to go back to Israel. At first, of course, both daughter-in-laws, they travel with her. And then Naomi makes the argument, no, just stay, just stay here. They both want to continue, but she makes the argument. And Orpah, she makes the decision, yep, I'm going to go ahead and return. Ruth does not. And she makes the statement in verse 13. 
how she believed that God was against her. This is so dangerous. When she was thinking of all that happened to her, all the, all the different circumstances that have come up in life, she came to the wrong conclusion that many people do. God is against me. She had a wrong view of God in place now. No doubt all these tragedies have led to hurt and pain. Many times when we, we have those hurt and pain from tragedies, we get to this point of thinking, God is against us or doesn't care. That leads you to overstate your condition because you remove hope. With God, there's always hope. Always. 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 When you remove God and the devil like nothing, nothing more than distort your view of God because now you're in a hopeless situation. That opens the door for bitterness. With God, there's always hope. If you have that mindset that God is against you, you remove that possibility. But with God, there is always hope. Always. It doesn't matter. Because of His power, which He is all-powerful, He's not against you. There are times in our life when we make bad decisions and God chastises us. Do you know why He does it? Not because now He's against us. It's because He loves us. Read Hebrews 12. Just like when my kids, when I have to discipline my children, I didn't do that because I was against their actions. The discipline was based on love. And we're not even dealing with a case necessarily of discipline on Naomi's part. With God, there's always hope. Ask David. When we went through the life of David, one of my favorite portions when we studied the life of David was when David was on that cliffside and Saul's army was surrounding him and it looked hopeless. And as he's there thinking it's over with, they're going to kill me in minutes, the army just turns around. With God, there's always hope. Ask that blind man of John chapter 9. John chapter 9, calling out, asking Christ to heal him as he, went, as, he, as he was traveling by. Having to cry louder and louder and being hushed. And, and the disciples, those even with Christ, not even bringing him to Christ to be healed. Remember, they wanted to have the theological discussion. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Even Christ was like, really? That's what you want to know right now? Neither this man or his parents have sinned. And then, of course, Christ heals him. With God, there is always hope. Ask Daniel when he's thrown into a den of lions. There's always hope. We can think of the different stories of families through here that have been through things. With God, there's always hope. God never promises to remove us from trials and struggles. He promises to help us through them. Don't forget God and don't get a wrong view of God. Again, once you begin to think God is against you, you open the door for bitterness to settle in your heart. Bitterness will take over and run your life. You will see everything now through the eyes of bitterness. It's a horrible place to be. 
When circumstances hit, it's so important how you handle them. I remember a time I, I, I almost messed up and, 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 and Lord, only thing that allowed me to continue was God's grace. And you've heard the story. It's, it's, it's one of my favorites. We were in New Guinea, I don't know, 10, 10 years or 11 years or so, how many, long, long it was. And I got in our land cruiser to head to church one Sunday morning. It's very hot out. It's already, you know, it's already 100 degrees by the time we leave for church. And I, I get just a couple kilometers from the house, about two or so. And all of a sudden, I started hearing this odd noise in the back end of the vehicle. Now, keep in mind, it's sunny. There will hardly be any vehicles on the road. I've broken down many times on the road. You learn to try and fix things immediately. So I get out. I quickly go back, and I'm trying to look at the, at the problem. I find one of them. It just deals with the rear stabilizer bar. And then while I'm looking at the rear stabilizer bar, at that exact moment, I start hearing a whistling. And I'm at the very back end. I, I stick my head around like this, and I'm watching my tire go flat. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I quickly turn around, and I, by the time I got back to the house, it was completely flat. And I said, well, I got my old white truck, the very first vehicle we had there. And, and I said, no, if I have enough fuel from the generator, I'll take that black truck, or the white truck. And the tires on it are completely bald, completely. I mean, I, it's a black tire, and I'm not kidding. You could see a reflection in the black tire. It was just so, it's just crazy. And those of you who have been with me, you know that... Have, Taking the, the, the mission trips to New Guinea when I'm there, when I travel, I travel with two spares because I get flats all the time, every week, did it for 12 years. And so I looked and I only had one spare. And I was like, nah, I'm, I'm still going to go if I have the fuel. And I had enough fuel. I got the fuel and it should be enough to get us there and back without any problem. So we head out. Now, we're, we're pretty late already. I'm already an hour late, but this is the bush. It's not like here. They understand circumstances can arise and I'm going to be late. And I was preaching at both works at this time. I'd start off in Soho and preach. I would leave there after that first service, head to Kudu Kudu, where I had the two to three services in Kudu Kudu. I already had James Abel this time preaching in and pastoring the work in Soho. So then he would preach after I left there. So I get on the road. I head out. I, I go up by the first Soho, and I just wave. They know I'm running late. James can preach there. So I head on to the main work, Kudu Kudu, where I'm the only one to preach at the church plant there. And so I'm, I'm getting there. I'm just a few kilometers away, and, and I, I'm driving, and I get a flat tire. So I head out. Um, I'm already sweaty from working on the Land Cruiser. Again, it's over 100 degrees. I, I'm, I wear, when I preach, I did not wear a suit coat there, but I did still wear my suit pants and a white shirt um, and a tie. So I'm working on fixing the tire. I am sweating. I'm hot. I'm now dirty from crawling in the dirt, changing the tire. And, and then we get back in the car, and I start to move again. And by this time, I don't get 10 feet, and I can tell I have a fuel problem that comes up out of nowhere all of a sudden, and the engine dies. And, and by this point, I'm like, Lord, I don't understand. You know, that anger starting, I don't get this. I'm just trying to get to church. That's all I'm doing. I, I don't understand this. And, and so I reckon I, I had the problem a few times several years earlier. I knew there, there's, it's a diesel engine. There's this little tiny filter that comes out, of the, out by the fuel pump to the injectors. And I, and I said, I bet you that thing's clogged. And it's a pretty easy thing to you know, take off and clear it up. And I did that. <clears throat> sure enough, I started and the fuel was running through. And I just started to move. I just moved about a yard. And a guy I knew from the village there, Stephen from Rathavis, pops out. He was in the bush. He had a towel with him. He's heading to the river to wash. And so I, I had Stephen come over to the car, and I said, Steve, why don't you go to church with me this morning? And I said, come on, Tessa, you call up now, by you, go, by you me, go, go on low too one time. 
And because I had my truck and not the Land Cruiser, which is closed, he agreed to jump in the back of the truck. He jumps in the back of the truck and we head to church. I preached. One or two people put their hands up. Two people put their hands up for salvation that morning. Guess who one of them was? Stephen. I took Stephen aside. We sat down on that flower wall we built and I went over the gospel with him. And right there, he repented and placed his faith in Christ. And both of us were in tears. And I began to tell him all that God did to get me there at that moment in time when he would step out. There are times when circumstances arise, you simply have to trust God. If you get a wrong view of God that he doesn't care, he's not even watching what's going on, that will affect the decisions you make. The devil would love to distort your understanding of God and who he is and paint him as against you. Or just you forget him altogether. Even when life hits hard, tragedy upon tragedy, the answer is God. He's the one to run to for help. Not blame him. So often we blame God for things he has never promised. Listen, there is suffering in this earth. The Lord makes that clear. We're going to have suffering. We're going to have trials. We're going to experience sickness and death and heartache. God never promised to deliver us from those. He understands we're in a sin-cursed earth. There's consequences to our actions as people before God. There is a day coming when the Lord will change that. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth and all that will be done away. But that's not now. What God promises us is the grace and strength and help to help us stay faithful through, through whatever it is that we're facing. To trust in Him. Not to forget His goodness. You might say, but you don't understand. I've already made that bad decision. I had things come into my life. I went against God and I went into a Moab. Now I know God's against me. No, you're wrong. Think of the story of the prodigal son. He too went away to a far country. He made the wrong choice. You know what the father was? Waiting. Just waiting for him to return. To repent and to return. He wasn't there when he got back ready to judge. Say, no, forget it. You're done. I'm done with you. You made your choice. No. He ran and he greeted him. He kissed him. Go get my robe and put him on him. Put my ring on his finger. That's a picture of God's love for us, even when we make the wrong choice. It's our responsibility to repent and to return, and he's still there. <clears throat> Don't let the struggles of the sin cursor change what you know to be true about God. Thirdly, and that is remembering God's sovereignty. Remember, God is working even when you can't see it. Let's look at verses 14 through 18 now. And they, lift, and they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. 
And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Here we go. Now we're having some of the very first words from this woman. And they're amazing. Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Keep in mind, she's hearing Naomi say, My God is against me. As if God is just mean and, and cruel. Yet she's still saying, No, no, I, I want that God. This is a woman whose faith and conversion is genuine. Thy people, my people, and thy God, my God. She makes it clear she's never returning again to Moab, to the place she grew up. Because she says, where thou diest, will I die. Don't even send me back. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. There she's making a vow now before God. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking under her. This is obviously an interesting and a key to this book. And how I want to do it is, is, is for this purpose this morning, is pull from this a lesson on God's sovereignty. On knowing that God is working even when you can't see it. Here we have Ruth and her decision to stay with Naomi. We see her faith. We see her kindness. Naomi's been pleading with him to return. Just go back. I'm just going to face additional tragedy, uh, 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 tragedies in my life. My God is against me. Besides that, you'll never be able to have a family if you travel with me. I'm going back to Israel. You won't be able to marry. Ruth, the Bible says, clave under her. That's a strong word right there. It has the idea of affection, of loyalty. What Naomi doesn't realize is this. And we see it in Ruth's reply. God is already working. Naomi can't see it. I understand that. There's many times when, when we are faced with such difficult circumstances, when life goes the direction that we didn't expect, that we can't see where God is working. But know this, He is sovereign and He is working. Ask Joseph. Ask Joseph. That was a man who could do nothing but trust that God is in control. Even when he didn't understand, even when he can't see it, I have to trust God is in control. Naomi can't see God's hand working, but he is. Because of Ruth's decision, that's going to change Naomi's life. Remember, the Bible says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You're not always going to see how God is working. That's where faith comes in. But Pat, you don't understand my circumstances. There's just no way out of this. Um, it's, it's, you're forgetting God's power. 
God's goodness and God's sovereignty. I don't know how he's going to solve it. But I know whatever the end is, God is there, he is good, and he'll be the help you need. We have to trust him. You can look back at the times in your life when God was working, and you had no clue to after everything was said and done. Think about it. We can probably all go back. If you've been saved 10 years or more, you can probably right now think about times when, when you could not see God working, but boy, was he. Again, I think when I received those orders to Korea when I was in New Mexico... I mean, I completely removed God from the, uh, uh, from the circumstance immediately. I was on paid staff at the church in New Mexico. This was my future. And then all of a sudden the Air Force says, oh, actually, before you get out, we're going to send you on a remote to Korea. I didn't see God in it. I believed a message preached that was so wrong. And I believed it completely. Um, I won't give the pastor's name who said it. Um... But most of us would know it. I would get his tapes every week. And he made the statement, if you're in the military and you're called to preach, get out, quit telling the government, tell you where to go, and let God tell you where to go. And everybody shouted amen and everything like that. And that stayed with me. I forgot that God's sovereignty even rules over military assignments, except in the case of the Conleys. But I did, I forgot that. I removed it. As if God's up there, man, I did not know they were going to send him to Korea. What is that all about? And I went through a miserable, I had the assignment almost eight months before I had to leave. It was a miserable eight months. But you know what? God was working even though I couldn't see it. Little did I know on that remote assignment, I would end up on my own bringing my family with me. I would spend a year with missionary because you know what God knew was going to happen in my life one day? He's putting me in New Guinea. I'm going to need the experience with my family, with a foreign missionary. Know who was in control? Not the U.S. Air Force. God. There are times when you can look back when you didn't think God was working or God was in it, but He was. So in conclusion... It's so important how we respond when life doesn't go as planned. If there's two keys I could give to, to summarizing the three points that I gave you, it's this. When you are faced with circumstances where life doesn't go as planned, number one, what is important is faith. As I've already mentioned, your faith will be measured when those trials hit, not before. Don't forget God. Trust He is working for you and not against you. In order to do that, that brings me to number two. You have to know and conclude and be settled in this fact. God is good. It's who He is. We're going to face difficulties and trials, and it always leads us, uh, many times with thoughts, the devil comes in right to God. Well, if He's there and all-powerful, why doesn't He stop it? And the devil gets us to question God's goodness. He has your mind then. He is good. 
We're not in the new heaven and new earth right now. We're in a sin-cursed earth. That's what we're in. We're going to face trials and struggles and heartache because we still have a sin nature. Yet in all of this, still look at God's amazing goodness and grace. Look what He did with His Son in order to save us from the judgment when He could have just wiped us all out. See His goodness everywhere. Look, look in the goodness right now. Look at the day we're living in. Yet look at the beautiful day we have. You see His goodness and grace everywhere. Don't blame the sufferings and trials on this world on God. It's a result of man's position before Him. Our choices. You have to know that He is good. Don't blame God. Go to God. This will protect you from bitterness creeping in in your heart. You can think about this. It's exactly what Job did, what I'm giving you. Faith in God's goodness. When he didn't understand what was happening in him, his life went a completely different direction than what he saw coming, didn't it? Yet he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Some of the verses he gives in the midst of his struggles are incredible. Of just simply trusting us, and he remembered who God is. Even when he couldn't understand it. Even when he struggled with it. Listen, we're, we're going to face times when life hits us with circumstances we don't understand. It's a dangerous time. Especially as in the case of Elimelech, Elimelech and Naomi because it was a weak spiritual foundation that was present. So when it hit, instead of trusting in God's power and seeking His direction, he took it into his own hands. I'm going to handle it. And then tragedy upon tragedy follows. It gets to the point where Naomi has a wrong view of who God is. God is against me. And thirdly, she couldn't see His sovereignty. She was able to trust in the fact that He is working. And as we get through this story, as I've already mentioned, we're going to see that bitterness turn to beauty. We're going to see God do something amazing. With heads 